Oh, that was pretty good from my end. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed yeah, that. I enjoyed good. that. It's always good. It's always You're really welcome. in sync. I'm gonna give... Don't say we don't do anything for you, Elise. Oh, I, I never would dream of saying that, saying <laughs> that publicly. Just <laughs> keeping you in line. Just when she gets home, these yeah. fucking bitches. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> uh, all right, good to go? Yep, take it away. Hello, everyone. I'm very excited about this guest, selfishly, because I need some help at the moment. But this week we have Victoria Devine from She's on the Money. Hello, Dahl. How are you going? Hello. I'm well. How are you? Yeah, really good. Joyous, joyous, joyous. In lockdown, just figuring out what to do with my life and with my money. So thank God I have you to talk to. I mean, you can try and save a heap in lockdown, albeit online shopping is a good vice. Well, yeah, last night I was like, I need some new runners. And then I ended up buying four pairs of runners, like a new double four? bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like two of them were fashion ones. Oh, okay. But like that's still four <laughs> pair of runners. Like, <laughs> cute justification though. Yeah, no, four pairs of runners. And two of I got like a like a black pair of performance runners, a lighter oh, pair. Oh, performance like a, runners. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Babe, I'm, like, I'm like getting fit in lockdown because in Bondi, what else is there to do except to go for a walk, right? That's so true. the amount of walks I've gone. The Olympics are on, so you're basically an athlete. And that's the thing, isn't it? I've seen all the Olympians and I've thought that could be me holding it your hand. It could be. You know? I'm not going to get up at 3 a.m. to go to training for 12 hours, though. Like, it's just not going to happen for me. I'm really sorry. No, and You even- can be the athlete. Yeah, it's true, and I can just watch. I mean, I didn't know any of the Olympians. Just side note, I didn't know any Olympians even names before the Olympics, and now I'm crying watching them win gold medals and oh, shit. Like, but that's really sweet. I mean, I think I'm just in lockdown, baby. I don't think it's very sweet. I think it's like, oh, she's on the verge of a breakdown. Like, anything's like, yeah, cry. Hey, uh, I mean, you guys have just gone into breakdown. As a Melbourneian who's done more than 200 days of lockdown, like, I've got some tips for you. Crying is good. Crying is good. I'm just going to try to pretend it isn't happening. And also, really, like, I live on the beach. Like, get a grip, Abby. Like, I can go for a walk and go for a swim. I can, like, do all the fun stuff. The only thing is I can't go and fuck people in Queensland I want to have sex with but it's fine oh, like they'll, that's unfortunate in know, Melbourne they shut our beaches when we go into lockdown so we can't even do that yeah they probably should in Bondi seeing as the Pacific Ocean is a petri dish at the moment you walk past and there's like 400 surfers but you know what I like going for a dip <laughs> But I dip alone. I, like, walk down alone. I dip. I get out. No one's near me. In fact, I'm I'm further away from those walking. I think that's fine because walks, especially in Sydney, I feel like you guys aren't mandated to wear masks outside. No, we're not. Whereas we are, like, inside, outside, 24-7. Like, in my office, we're wearing them. The whole team is wearing them. It is... I won't say nightmare because obviously it's for the greater good and I support it. But like, my gosh, my entitled ass, like, I don't want to wear this. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of mask knee as well. Like, getting pimples from my masks. I'm done. I'm done with it. <laughs> I'm done with it. Yeah. Anyway, back to the actual podcast episode, not us pitching at lockdown. What a fun episode this is going to be to listen to in like a year. And everyone's like, masks? What is what? that about? Let's hope. Let's hope in a year. Maybe we thought three. that a year ago, though, hey. So look where we are now. Um, okay, so this episode basically is going to be because you have the podcast, She's on the Money. I listen I to it. I'm in the Facebook group. Oh, are you actually? I am. That is so fun. I never assume that people that I listen to actually are in my community. I'm like, nah, she's got better things to do. No, I don't. Um, evidently, no, because I'm good with money in that I'm great at saving. Good. Despite my four pairs of runners, but I'm great at saving. I don't buy anything. Saving like- four runners. Saving four runners, exactly. It. Just so I can run, just continually run up the Nullarbor and back. You're, you're an um, athlete. 
That's it. Yeah, yeah. Necessary purchase. You could probably claim it on tax because you are an athlete. I'm an Olympian. And that's the thing, isn't it? And this is the thing. I can claim it on tax. If I get into the 2024 Olympics, where are they? Couldn't tell you. Don't look at me like I'm smarter uh, than that. Charleville. The Charleville Olympics. Let's say How that. How do you know that? Babe, it's not in Charleville. Charleville's like a small town in the middle of Queensland that has like 200 people. Paris. Sorry, Elise popping in. It's in Paris. Ooh la la. Well, I can claim oh, I go to Paris. If I get some French runners, maybe I can claim it even more. So, so I am good saving money, but I'm very scared of investing and don't know what to do with the money that I save. So I just like tend to stockpile and then freak out and I'm in a current state of freaking out. So this is quite selfish of me to have you on. You need a financial advisor, babe. You need someone who makes that decision easy. You can't just do it on your own. Mm, Yeah. The thing is just a bit too lazy to organise that. So not lazy, too chaotic too to organise it. So this is why I'm asking you and then you can recommend someone afterwards. Like I would recommend me as a financial oh, advisor. Oh, can you do that? Is that, right. a, is that a is that a conflict of interest because we're now best friends? Look, no, because a lot of my clients become my friends. Okay, vibes. It's right, what well, I do. Yeah, I don't know after. if you know. Like I'm quite legitimate. Like for those of you following along, I don't just talk about money. I'm actually a qualified financial advisor, so that's kind of handy, I guess, if you want to talk about money. Well, I knew that. I just didn't know if I don't know why it felt illegal to ask you. But anyway, so actually, that's it a good place to start. <laughs> No, no, no. Guys. Guys, I'm literally registered, like nothing illegal about it. Like I actually even have to get you to give me your identification so that we're not laundering money. Like I'm mm, legit. Could yeah. we? I'm kidding. Could- no, no, we can't. Should we'll I talk about it wash? offline. Should I buy- oh, there, turn the mics off, please. Um, yeah. So you actually, should buy art. No. <laughs> NFTs, NFTs. <laughs> let's start there because you have the podcast. She's on the money. How did that start? What's the deal? Don't give me too long of an answer. But I also. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Abby hasn't got time for my shit. No, because um, you know why? Because, no, you know why? Because I have about 400 questions on what I should do. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's. We can make these answers really short, sharp, punchy, all right? I'm going to try my hardest. As somebody who really does like to stretch out a story, this is challenging, but I'm here for you. Um, So, I was a financial advisor, but before that, I actually worked in organizational psychology. So, I've got two psych degrees. One thing led to another. My clients, when I was working in org psych, used to always have issues with money. And I, as a young, probably like 23-year-old, was like, what the hell? I don't know how to manage money. I also don't know how to talk to a middle-aged white man who says, Victoria, it's not like my workplace. It's that I can't pay my mortgage. And I'd be like, I don't know how to have this conversation. So, I decided to learn a bit more about money ultimately fell in love with it, went on to study that, finished my MBA, like majored in finance, and then went on to do like some more finance stuff because I'm like, it's not even a secret. I'm a massive nerd. Like I'm Mm. not cool. I don't even care about that. But I went on to do finance and one thing led to another. I started my own financial advice company, which is called Zella. So Zella Wealth is based here in the Melbourne CBD. And I have a team of financial advisors and like paraplanners who write financial advice. And I do see clients. So I am I am a functioning financial advisor. Yes. I don't take on as many clients as I used to because now obviously I have she's on the money, but I still adore giving advice. Like it's kind of like I would be really upset if that part of me was taken away because that's mm-hmm. how I got to where we are today anyway. Yeah, and you obviously enjoy it enough to have a career change that you uh, – Yeah, yeah. Like- and, and I adore it. Like being able to work with people and for them to be comfortable with investing and comfortable with themselves and knowing that I'm literally going to put them in a better financial situation long term is honestly so cool. But She's on the Money came about because I – 
I'm wildly passionate about financial literacy. And I started doing workshops out of Zella called She's on the Money. And mm. from there, I created a Facebook group so the people who attended my workshops could come along and like have chats outside of the workshops because mm-hmm. all the questions, like they were good questions, but women need to talk about money more. Yes. And then I remember that got to like 1,700 people in that group and we decided that was a lot of people. Like that was wild to me. Mm. I'm a financial advisor. I'm not an influencer. Like followers and like all of this still feels wild. That's a lot of people so, though. Like if you think about it's that a lot room. of people. Yeah, insane. So then, yeah, we started the podcast and one thing led to another. Thought it would be one, I guess, season and now we're up to our fourth season and have more than a million listeners a month, which is wild. That's amazing. We love that. So when, like, if someone comes into a financial advisor, what's the deal? Like, what do you actually do? Oh, I just take all their money and then I run away to the Cayman Islands. And then you launder it. Yeah, and then that's exactly it. it. How Mm. did you you worked it out? Genius, Mm. no. So backtracking a little bit, you've got to work out whether you want financial advice or not because being honest, financial advice isn't cheap. Like in Australia, the average statement of advice, which is the written piece of advice you need to get from a financial advisor, costs $3,200, like $3,200, which is not cheap, but at the same time is a really good investment if you actually are, you know, setting yourself up for financial freedom in the future, right? Like it Mm -hmm. ends up paying itself off really well, but it is a lot. And if you're investing your first five grand to then ask someone to spend $3,200 of their savings on a financial advisor, like to me, that's a lot. What's the financial advice letter? It's the actual advice. So to go see a financial advisor, you have meetings, but then they'll give you a written document, which is oh. your financial advice. And in Australia, legally, that's called a statement of advice. Okay. And it's not a letter. It is a like 80-page document where mm-hmm. we document exactly why we would give you that advice, how it works and why you will be in a better position because of it and make comparisons to every other situation we looked at to make sure that you're always in the best possible financial position. So to backtrack a little bit, like you've got to work out first if you want financial advice or if you're going to, one, do it yourself or use a platform like I've recently launched my own investing platform with a company called Six Park, which Mm -hmm. is when you want to invest five grand and want advice, but you don't want to pay $3,200, you just want to pay $10 a month. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on what your needs are. But in your situation, Abby, you probably do need to see a financial advisor. Yeah. And you go along and seeing a financial advisor, I reckon, is a bit like a first date. Like you've got a vibe with them. If you don't mm-hmm. like them, like why would you want to see them again? And why would you want to open up to them about your personal situation and your money and your life. Like if you're not comfortable calling me and being like, hey, Victoria, I want to spend this much money on X, Y, Z. Like why are we here? Mm -hmm. So I think for you, the first meeting is actually really important because you have to vibe with that person. And if you don't, it's like finding a good doctor. Go find someone else. Go find another advisor that you're actually comfortable with. And so then you would do what's called a fact find, which is getting all your information. You would Mm -hmm. sit down, talk about your goals, your values, what you actually want to achieve. And then you'd work with an advisor to actually facilitate that plan. So Mm -hmm. they'd write their statement of advice and then they'd do everything for you. They Mm -hmm. kind of become like the CFO of your life. You just want them to always come to you about every major financial decision that you would make. Mm -hmm. And what do we count as a major financial, like investing any amount of money or like, like, 
Is it? So my clients come to me for literally everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> wedding planning. We have oh. buying new cars. Like one client a couple of weeks ago was like, I want to buy a jet ski. And I'm like, okay, like let's make that happen. But my job is to make it happen in the best possible way. And you might go, V, I've got that amount of money in my bank account. And I'll go, okay, cool. But like, should we get a loan for it? Like, let me do mm-hmm. the numbers and work out actually what the best financial situation is for you. Mm-hmm. So my clients literally talk to me about everything money. It doesn't actually matter what it is. I kind of become your financial best friend. And if you want to make any money decisions or pass it by someone, I'm that person. Amazing. So like, for example, I mean, some people might be wondering, in what situation would you not pay cash for a jet ski? Like, it depends on when you could get the finance. So, like, if you want to buy a car, Abby, and you're like, I want to spend 40 grand. I go, oh, that's a lot of money. How much is the finance that we could get on it? And you go, 12%. I go, "Mm, that's not, one, that's a lot of money for a car loan. But two, the stock market and any other investments aren't outperforming that. So, yeah, I'd probably try and pay cash for that. But if you said to me, oh, Victoria, I've got this really good deal. It's like 1% or 2% finance with the dealership that I'm buying it from and it's secondhand, it's really good purchase. I'll be like, okay, well, maybe we get finance and then we invest that $40,000 you have. So ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, you end up in a better financial position. And obviously, that's going to be different depending on everybody's circumstances. But my job isn't just to like look at car loans. But as a client, you would want to be in a position where you could just be like, hey, V, I want to spend this. And I'd be like, okay, cool. I'll make sure it happens. Or, hey, Abby, I really don't think that that's a good idea at this point because remember, we've got this other goal we're working towards and you actually need that cash. You'll be like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Like, I'm also that sounding board where you go, V, I want to buy a jet ski. And I'll be like, come on, Abby, you do not want to do that. You've never spoken about it before. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's also sometimes I have clients who just get caught up in FOMO with their friends and they're like, oh, I really want to do X, Y, Z. And I'll be like, you've literally never mentioned this to me before. Mm -hmm. Are you sure that's your value? And they go, nah, nah, you're right. And that's Um, where the psych degrees come in because you're like, I can sense this is more of a FOMO thing, not like a financial Abby, thing. Like, Abby, I know you better than you know yourself. It's a no from me. It's a no from Victoria. We're so, so sorry. So it's more about, like, making your money work because I think we're traditionally taught from birth to never buy a car outright because it's a depreciating asset. Yeah. But that's not always the hard and fast rule. No. And it's about like, what rates you can get. Yeah, and I also – I've done a whole podcast on this, but – I don't believe anybody, regardless of who you are, should purchase a brand new car. I'm not saying purchase a 10-year-old car that's beat up and that isn't aligned to your values. Like, go get a demo model. Go get a one- or two-year-old version that's, you know, never been driven properly before because the depreciation happens usually within the first 12 months. Mm -hmm. Like, on average, the second you buy a brand new car and drive it out of the dealership, it loses a minimum of 10% of its value. Mm -hmm. So, let somebody else take that and then go take their secondhand car that's been detailed and serviced and really well looked after and it's new to you, but you never lost that money. Somebody else did on your behalf, which is a money win. That is a money win. Thank God I didn't buy the car that I wanted to buy a couple of months ago. I just want to ask you all the questions that I have and, all, and all, right. I asked Shoot. all my stories <laughs> questions and Elisa sorted some questions and I feel like if we just get through this, then if they want more information, they go to the podcast and the podcast group because you have whole episodes on all of this stuff that goes much more in depth and you also have a book. 
I do have a book, which is very fun. Very fun author vibes. Okay, my next question is about houses. So I have a degree in property economics. Uh, not that I flex that enough. Uh, I've talked about it she all the fancy. Time. Yeah, but not really. I can't even remember it. That's fine. I Don't wa- tell people that. Just tell people that you've got a degree in property economics. Which I do, but I worked in commercial. So people think that I know about residential, but I worked in I worked in pubs and hotels. So I know about buying a pub. Don't know anything about buying. Well, I know things, but not. Not all the things. Well, so, I don't know about pubs. Are they good investments? Should I buy a pub? Only if it has pokies, but then you have the moral dilemma of having pokies in the pub. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't want that. So that's why it's, it's useless information to me because I would never promote pokies. Yeah, great. Getting into the property market, obviously, as a young person is a fucking terrifying and near impossible, particularly in Sydney. Like, I'm yeah. looking in Sydney right now and I feel physically ill looking at the housing prices very obviously and then I think about I think about the money that I that I could spend on a house like for example an apartment in Bondi for a very basic apartment in Bondi with a walk-up no air conditioning no balcony is no car parking no car park (laughs) it's like 1.2 mil right that's wild to me Uh, yeah like if you put in Bondi and put no price bracket everything is above a million like even like a one it's crazy it's absolutely crazy and I think about that and I think okay with that money I could buy an apartment in Brisbane and an apartment at the Gold Coast on the beachfront at the Gold Coast but do I want to do that and I'm sure a lot of people who have gotten to a stage because obviously you know I'm sure my listeners are maybe a bit younger, but kind of around like that 30 age, 25 to 30, where it's like, okay, I've saved my whole working life. I've got a deposit. I've got, you know, maybe 700 grand. Do I buy an investment property or do I buy something to live in? How do you decide what the fuck to do with that money in theory? Not that I'm asking in for theory. at all. Hypothetically. Not that I had a panic attack last time about this. <laughs> Not that Hypothetically, if you were asking that question, it really comes down to your values. Like why are you buying in the first place? Is it because you wanted to get into the property market and you've just been really stressed about it? Is it because, you know, parent figures are telling you, oh my gosh, you need to buy ASAP. Like when I was 19, I'd already bought my first house and you're feeling heaps of pressure. Is it because friends and family are? Or is it because you're like, I just really want to own my own home? So first Mm -hmm. we need to understand why. But then secondary to that, we need to understand what the future of that property looks like. So if you're young and planning on buying an apartment in Bondi for $1.2 million, let's look at the future of that property. Are you going to live in that forever? Like, is this your forever home? If it is, we don't need to worry too much about what you're spending and what the return on that is because you're going to spend it and it's going to become your forever home and you're not actually planning on selling it. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you're buying a one-bedroom apartment and then you're going to move in with a partner later down the track and it definitely is too small, we need to put an investment lens on that and go, okay, cool. Like if we're going to buy this asset, are we actually going to be able to rent it out? In the future, is it going to be worth more? Mm -hmm. What does that look like for us personally? So moving forward, we really need to remember that Property is just one of the four asset classes. And Mm -hmm. if property is hard to get your head around or is a bit unachievable, that's not a bad thing. We have other asset classes that are going to be able to help us create wealth. So if you want to purchase, like let's just look for what your dream property is while also remembering that in the future, is this my forever home? Or, you know, maybe it'll increase in value. We sell it and then buy a bigger property or we rent it out and then buy something else with the Mm -hmm. equity. It completely depends on your personal situation. 
But the most important thing is actually working out if that's what you want to do or wondering if that's what you think you should do because everyone's been telling you that, oh, it's really important to own your own house. Mm. Because from my perspective, I have a lot of clients who are really wealthy who do not own their own properties because they're like, don't want to do that. I'd prefer to have my money in shares. Yeah, my old boss in my old job only rented and he was like the head of the department in like he, yeah. he was worth a lot of money and he just always rented because he was like, I don't really love any of these houses that I'm living in and we might move, we might not. Like the family's fine moving around every couple of years. It's not really a big deal to me. I don't really care about property. I care about buying pubs. Um, yeah. <laughs> <my> <laughs> but goal. that's just it. Like lots of people have different values and I think it's silly to put that same value on everybody. And I mean, if you want to buy an apartment and that's your budget and you said 700 grand before great what can we buy for that is Mm. that fair and reasonable or if we were to buy a seven hundred thousand dollar apartment for example in bondi probably unachievable let's go to bondi let's go to yeah okay you could get you get a three bedroom in the city for 700 grand i reckon yeah but are you moving and living there like does that mean you're going there so we need to then go is that an investment if so why Brisbane? Just because you think they're cute? What's the rental yield? What's the growth? Mm -hmm. Like what does everything else look like? So when we're buying a residential property for us personally, and when we're buying it for an investment, those are two different ways of working out whether the property works or not. Because like I know I love baths, like love baths. Like it was like a non-negotiable when I was purchasing my house. Mm -hmm. But If I was purchasing a rental property, a bath isn't going to add any value to your property at all as to whether you can rent it out or not if it's in Bondi. Mm -hmm. So, like, we need to remember that personal values can overlay investment values and sometimes they get a little bit muddled. Mm -hmm. You know what will add value in Bondi? An oven. An oven? Wait, wait, wait. Some people don't have – I'm so confused. Some people don't have, like, full ovens in Bondi and they're still selling – this is the thing, like – Are you, like, rich, rich? Do you have an oven in your house? I have an oven and a lift and air conditioning and a laundry. Who is she? No, I know. People literally comment on it. People are like, Unrelatable content. I know. I'm so (laughs) unrelatable. Whereas in Brisbane, it's, like, 400 bucks a week. You have all those things plus a pool. Yeah. Like, it's, like – disgusting but so speaking of buying a house say say if we decided we do want to buy a house and we want to you know let's go back to brisbane sydney makes me feel sick thinking about the prices sorry to everyone lives in sydney including elise and i that are sitting here so we can't (laughs) we can't even think about it like it's not even like a realistic thing let's say where we are in brisbane because i know the market there and you can buy a four bedroom house for 700 grand let's say that and you want to do it you want to live in it you decided done what are the biggest mistakes people make when they're saving for that house deposit because it does take like saving. 10 years. Yes. Like it literally takes oh, forever. It takes forever. It takes forever. And I've recently launched, yeah, I've recently launched a new podcast called The Property Playbook so that I can give you literally all the tips and tricks to actually get your property game on. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to saving, they compare their journey to everybody else's. Like how often do you jump on social media and see people putting up the sold sign and then you're like, oh my God, I, that's never going to be me. What the hell? Like, I can't believe it. But what you didn't see was 
their commitment and their sacrificing mm. and the fact that it took them 10 years to save. All you got to see was the glossy Instagram photo. Mm. So I think it's really important to remember that your journey is yours alone mm. and that it's actually okay if it takes 10 years to save for a house because not many people can easily save $100,000. No. Like that's a lot. Like and you're probably going to need that at a minimum. Like most people go, oh, my gosh, saving ten grand a year, that's wild. So I think we need to put – less expectations on ourselves because I talk to a lot of people in our age demographic and they'll say things like, oh my gosh, Victoria, so the plan I'm going to buy in probably like three or four years because that feels really far away. Mm. And you go, okay, no problem. Like, have you got a home deposit safe? No, no, no. Okay. Like, what do you earn? Oh, 80 grand. Be like, oh, good income. Great. How much are you saving? Oh, like maybe like 10 grand a year. I'll be like, What deposit do you think is going to be necessary for that house? Because Mm -hmm. if you need a hundred grand, you're not going to save it in that period of time. So Mm -hmm. I think we easily put ourselves in positions where we feel like crap because we end up putting expectations that we're never going to work on ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I think something that's really important if you do want to purchase property is jump on realestate.com.au, jump on domain, have a look at what that property is going to cost you and what deposit might be necessary, then work backwards. If you're like my dream property, I'm going to need a hundred grand, break it down in years and actually work towards that goal Mm -hmm. and celebrate the milestones. Like make sure each and every single year you're meeting that 10 grand instead of just being like, oh, it's all too overwhelming. Like I think I'm on track, but I don't know. Like track things better. Yeah. When I had my, because at least now I'm very lucky that I guess like you, my income is like I can do more work to get more money. But when I had a, a nine to five for all those years, I had a good income, but it's still what the fuck? The thought of even trying to save for a deposit, you could just kind of like, well, I'm just going to give up before I even start because it's never going to happen. Yeah. I'll just rent the rest of my life. Like, But how do you feel about people saying that rent is dead money? I think it's silly because it's not. Like rent is not dead money because at the end of the day, it's one of the hygiene factors of life, right? Like you need to put a roof over your head. Great. Mm-hmm. Where that roof is is completely up to you. Like you could live in the outer suburbs of Sydney and pay $250 a week in rent and have like four housemates and be like, you know what, that works for me. That's my lifestyle. But you've told me that you live in Bondi and it's not dead money even if you're paying a lot more rent than most people because that's actually a lifestyle choice. That's an investment into your happiness. That's Mm -hmm. an investment into your personal lifestyle and the life you've chosen to lead. So when people say like rent money is dead money, it's like, okay, like stop paying it. Just don't live anywhere. Like go be homeless. Mm. Like there's not actually any difference. And I feel like we need to remember that some of our income when we spend it needs to be spent on things like shelter and food and clothing ourselves. Mm. But depending on what that, I guess, level is, like you don't- Yeah, like you don't need to go to Dior to buy your new sneakers. Some people do. That's fantastic. Like, but it is a hygiene factor that you have shoes, right? So that level of investment is dependent on what your values are. Mm -hmm. But I hate the saying that rent money is dead money because I'm like, no, you chose to live somewhere. Like it was a choice, a conscious decision to pay more rent than the average Mm -hmm. bear. So I think that we need to stop saying things like that as well because it's kind of like shaming rent as well. Like what are you saying, that renting is bad? Well, yeah, even like my whole renting life, so when I was like 
from when I was, what, 19 with Out of Home, I've always felt like rent money is dead money and felt guilty for paying, at least you get this as well a little bit, at least it's nodding along, where you feel guilty for paying rent because you feel like you're just throwing it into a, into a big bucket for someone else and you think, well, I'd rather be spending that on a mortgage. But that's where it's really important to differentiate what your goals are. So, yeah, spend money on rent. But if you say to me, Victoria, like my life goal is to purchase a home and like I just want that, then I look at your finances and you're spending 60% of your income on rent. I'll be like, well, you're not exactly prioritizing that goal, are you? Like if Mm -hmm. you need to move somewhere where you can prioritize that goal and make it happen because we need to put a roof over our head in the interim before we're able to buy. Renting is obviously a really great solution for that, but we also need to make sure that the money we spend on rent is reflective of our value of that rental property. So if you said, nah, like I don't even care, this is my dream to live right here, I'm never going to, contrary to popular belief, (laughs) argue with somebody else's values. Like if Mm -hmm. you said, Victoria, I want to spend that on rent, I'll be like, great, Abby. Like, I've got no problem. There's no judgment coming from me. Mm -hmm. My job is actually to make sure that's viable and feasible and go, well, actually, for your personal situation, we can't do that because it's putting you behind on everything else. On this thing you care about more. Yeah. And just putting things in perspective. But I'm never going to tell somebody that their spending habits are bad if that's what sparks joy in them. So I think it's really important to remember that if you are renting, it's not dead money, it's an investment into your lifestyle. And if you want to change that life, style, you're more than welcome to go rent somewhere cheaper and easier and whatever that looks like. Mm. But if you then go, oh, no, but I don't want to do that. Okay, well, let's stop seeing rent money as dead money and see your rent as an investment into the lifestyle that you lead. We love that. And before you spoke about the four asset classes, can you run us through those and how we even get our money into things like shares? Like, what are share and how do I use Okay, so in Australia, there are four main asset classes. The first is cash. That is the money that is in your bank account or like some people don't have money in their bank accounts. That's okay, but we know cash is an asset class. The second is secured assets or bonds, which are things like government bonds where you actually lend your money to the government and they pay you a return on your investment. They're usually lower returning assets than, you know, the share market, but they're usually more secure. So mm-hmm. in Australia, they're a much more secure asset class. Then we have shares, which as you know, share market, mm-hmm. and then we have property. Mm-hmm. So to go back to shares for a second, a share is a very small piece of a business. So when you purchase into a business, let's use like Coles as an example, like supermarket, they go, hey, we're going to issue shares and you can purchase a share in our business. And when you purchase a share, you are then entitled to some of the income and profit that that business makes, but also some of the growth that they experience. So if they were worth a million dollars, which they're clearly worth a lot more, but Mm. good example, Mm -hmm. they were worth a million dollars when you bought them. And then the year after they were worth $2 million, well, as a shareholder, you bought at the time that they were worth less. Therefore, you're entitled to some of that growth when you go to sell. So, Mm -hmm. you'd be able to sell your share for double. Mm -hmm. So, shares 
Some of them have what's called a dividend, which is the income that the share pays you. And that's pretty sexy, right? So if I said, hey, buy a $1 share and each and every single year it will pay you 10 cents, you'd be like, great. And Mm. that's how we ultimately create wealth because as much as a $1 share returning 10 cents doesn't sound that sexy, on scale and over time, that's massive. Mm. And to give you an example of that, because I've run this example into the ground, but I want everyone to remember it because I do think it's really powerful. And that is if you are 21 and you're like, oh my gosh, I want to start investing and I want to be a millionaire. Be like, girl, let's get it. But all you would need to do is invest $500 each and every single month Mm -hmm. until you retired to create an investment portfolio for yourself worth $1.2 million. Mm. And while that sounds like, cool, Victoria, that makes sense. Over that same period of time, if you'd only saved your money, you'd have $240,000. But the fact that you invested it essentially made you a million dollars because of the amount of returns that that share portfolio is going to provide you with. And when you get a share return, you invest that money as well. And the money that your money made you, that then starts to make you money. And that's called compound interest. And that's why I'm so passionate about investing. Because not only will you retire with $1.2 million, but at an average rate of return, which we're getting more complex here, but like just to disclaimer it, average rate of return of 7.5%, we actually create ourselves a passive income, which is an income we no longer have to go to work for, of $60,000 a year. Mm. So that's 60 grand that you'll be paid to do nothing because you've invested historically. And that is why a $1.2 million investment portfolio is important because you don't get to retirement and then start spending that. You actually get to retirement, you have that $1.2 million, it makes money for you every year and it is forever. Like that is in perpetuity, like you're not going to run out. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to financial planning, we go, hey, Abby, how much do you want to retire with? You might go, want 60 grand a year. And I'll go, great. That's what we're looking towards creating. Mm. Or you might say, oh, V, I want 300 grand a year every single year. And I want to make bank and I want to have paid my house off. And we go, okay, cool. What are the steps to create that? Work backwards and then work out if that plan is actually feasible for you. And we go, what are we working towards? So it's about having really clear goals Mm -hmm. with shares because why are we investing? if Mm -hmm. not to get a return. And if you just invest with absolutely no idea of what that return is going to look like or how it's going to work or what we're going to use it for, it gets really old really quickly. So shares are very easy to access. You can purchase them in a multitude of different ways. Yeah, how do we get the shares? (laughs) So (laughs) how do we get them? I feel like I know everything about shares from my uni degree. No one ever told me where to get them. No one ever told me. So you can buy shares on the ASX. Mm -hmm. You can buy them through a number of different platforms. So some of my favorite ones are like Sharesies, which is a really fun platform that you can just go on and purchase the shares from. And they even do like split shares. So if you want to purchase like Tesla, but you can't afford it, you can purchase half of a Tesla share, which is very cool. But they also have access and we're going to get, it's not complicated, but like we're going to get complicated for a hot second. They also have access to ETFs and an ETF is what's called an exchange traded fund. Mm -hmm. And you might have heard historically that being diversified when you invest is really important. And that's essentially saying we just don't want all our eggs in one basket. Mm -hmm. So by purchasing an ETF, 
you're not just purchasing one share in Coles. You're actually purchasing probably a hundred different shares that have all been put in one basket that you then purchase into that basket. So an mm. ETF means that you immediately get exposure to all of those things at a much lower price point because most people can't afford to go and buy a hundred shares straight off the bat mm. in a hundred different companies. It just doesn't make sense. So you literally go find an investing platform of your choice. There are a whole heap of them. You will sign up to that platform and then you'll start purchasing shares. Mm -hmm. You can do retail platforms. So like before I said, like sharesies is a good one, but then also there are you know, platforms through a financial advisor. And it really depends on how much you're investing as to what is worth it and whether you want to manage it or you want somebody else to do it. But there's different horses for different courses, but essentially buying shares is literally just as easy as buying four pairs of runners online. Random. Probably should have done that instead last night. Uh, it's not <laughs> pairs of runners. But it's right. They'll come. I'll wear. I mean, the thing, the runners, let me explain the You'll runners. You'll look hot. You'll look let real cute. Let me explain cute. the runners. I'll look cute. The thing is also right now in lockdown, all we have is walking. Might have holes in them. They have holes yeah, in them. Yeah, that's fair. They're four years old, my runners, my current runners. So I thought I'm going to get multiple pairs and look cute walking around Bondi if that's all I can do from now on. Yeah, okay. I Thank rate you. that. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming to the TED Talk. Thank you. Okay, so in theory, would you say that if your goal is to have, and this is literally me asking you, like I don't know what the answer is. If your goal was to like support your lifestyle, like by renting at, uh, you know, renting in Bondi for a stupid amount of money, would you say investing in shares is a smarter option than investing in property? Because it's more like it a lifestyle be. thing or is it just, it's everything is super individual, I'm assuming so from this. Yes. But it's also not just like investing in shares is not just a lifestyle thing. It's actually more accessible. So before we were talking about how hard it is to even save the deposit for a first home. Yeah. Whereas buying shares, you can start with five bucks. Like you don't need to have mm. saved a heap of money to actually start investing and creating return for the long term. So shares also don't require a mortgage. Whereas with a mortgage, if you went and purchased a home, you'd be like, great, I'm so excited to be tied to this mortgage that I have to pay each and every single month. Mm. Whereas with share investment, you don't actually have to do that every month. Like the plan is to do it, but if something came up or you had a different value or, you know, your car broke down and you don't have your trusty Mazda 3 anymore and you need to go buy an Audi, you can actually mm. just stop paying into your shares and go and purchase this other asset. Whereas a mortgage, you can't just be like, hey, bank, sorry, decided to buy a car, so not going to pay my mortgage this month. Sounds babes. It doesn't work like that. So when it comes to share investment, there's often a lot less commitment and a far lower entry point that's making it really appealing to millennials to start investing for their financial future because so many of them see property as so far out of their reach and it just makes sense for them. Yeah, it's simultaneously out of our reach, but also the one thing we've been taught to buy. Like it's, it's the one, it's the one goal yeah. we've been taught. It's the Australian but then it's also dream. Like why? Yeah, but it's like, but why? Like if it's going to make yeah. me like you're saying, if it's going to make me commit to a you know, $700,000 debt and and have to pay every month and have that stress of the mortgage. If you can do that, great. And if you great. want, if a priority is the property, then great. But I guess it shouldn't be the default, right? Yeah, of exactly. Of how you spend your money. Wow, I love this for us. Um, okay, now something I just want to talk to you about that was written in my notes by producer Elise. 
I'm not sure what the fuck she's talking about, but I'm excited to ask about it. Well, what's and- Elise? Elise, what is it? She can tell us. Oh, she took my laptop. Off. I don't know which one she's going to pull right. out now. I've got All right, laptop. sorry. Tips and tricks for talking about money with your honey, plus how to avoid an... <laughs> How to avoid an STD, sexually transmitted debt. Managing money with your honey, as Elise said, um, <laughs> is it's different for everybody. Like you'll never share a bank account with somebody because that's in your money story. That is something that you're like, hell no, I'm not going to mm. do that. Whereas I actually share all my money with my partner and I'm really happy with that, but it works for us. That like, gives it's me one a of those physical things. reaction. That gives <laughs> me. <laughs> I can see. That gives me literally like that's like a moment in therapy where my therapist goes, What's going on for you right now? That was that. Are you okay? Uh, yeah, going, what's going on for Abby now? <laughs> Panic. Oh, God. So you well, share all your money. Yeah, it all goes into one bank account. And then we have, I think because we have a mortgage together and pets, it all works. But before that, we never shared money until we actually purchased a property together. But then when we had a joint massive debt, I was like, YOLO, that debt is much more than what my monthly income is. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And I guess after we've been together for a fair few years now, I think it just makes sense for us. But in saying that, it doesn't work for everybody. And I've literally got clients who are in their late 40s and they have three young kids and they're like, no, never share bank account, not going to happen. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, yep, sweet. Like, I just want you to know what works for you. Mm -hmm. But essentially, when it comes to talking about money with your partner, it's really important to have open and honest money conversations and start them early. But I think people think that money's, a taboo topic because it's always so pervy. But like, Abby, I can talk to you till the cows come home about money and your values and what you believe in without being like, how much money do you earn? Mm. Which I think is a really pervy question that you shouldn't ask people. Mm. If they want to share that with you, they will. But you should never be like, oh my gosh, how much do you earn? Mm. Because that's actually none of your business. Mm. Whereas sharing money stories and being like, oh my gosh, like you're such a stinge to your friends, like obviously don't accuse them. But when you start learning about money and how your friends are approach it, it'll make sense. Like, you know, your friends might go, I don't know why Abby cares so much about joint accounts. Like if Mm. you're not having deep conversations and you can be like, do you know what? I actually experienced some trauma there. Like my mom went through this situation and like, I just believe that to keep myself safe, that's a priority or that's a measure that I'm putting in place. Mm. And your friends will go, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Mm. So I think talking about money is really important, but being on the same page as your partner is essential because if you're going to do life with that person, but you've got different values completely, like you're going to run into trouble. Oh, well, what do you think are some big conversations to be having with your partner then? Like what are some prompts maybe that are important if it's not about how much you earn, which makes sense because it doesn't really matter. It's more about your values around money, right? So what would be places to start? So things like splitting the bill, things like, hey, like, Are you comfortable with that? And it's more about your personal values. Like if you want them to pay, like I don't mind, but do they expect that of you? And if so, the question isn't like, do they want that? It's like, why would they want that? Because money is fickle. Like Mm -hmm. your partner might not earn as much money as you and feel really, I guess, inadequate when it comes to you know, finances and money. Like it would be really hard for someone who feels guilty about that. So I think that when it comes to money and money conversations, just being on the same page is really important and controversial. But if you move in with a partner 
And for example, they earn a hundred grand and you earn 50 grand. Mm-hmm. I genuinely, this is personal opinion. I don't believe you should be splitting things 50-50. I think you should be splitting them in line with what your incomes are because for that person who earns 50 grand, like rent being a grand, that takes most of their income away and doesn't leave them with any financial freedom to save, to invest, to have coffees out with friends. Whereas the other person, they're like living their best life and able to afford rent and it's not even an issue. So I'm very much of the, I guess, opinion that maybe it should be split 30-70, not because it's quote unfair or needs to be fair, but it's more just about creating equality and not feeling bad about, quote, paying less rent because you're actually paying your share of the rent. And if your partner isn't comfortable with that, how about we go and pick a different property that is within the budget of the person who has a $50,000 income? not picking the apartment that's in Bondi that's a bit more expensive, but like the person with the bigger income has that expectation. Mm, And they're fine with it, so it doesn't really matter. And I guess as well, the person with the 50K income then doesn't have any money to save for things like holidays or nice things to do together and they can't afford to be involved And that that puts pressure on your relationship. It puts you in a stressy position. And at the end of the day, if you're planning on being with someone for life, because let's just take a stab in the dark. I don't think you're going to move in with a guy unless you see it going further than just moving in with them, Mm. regardless of whether you believe in marriage or kids or whatever you want to do. Like if you move in with them, I'm assuming you want to be with them for the foreseeable future. Mm. Why would you ever want your partner to be under any level of financial stress if you can personally help them avoid that? Like, why would you want to put that on somebody else? So is this what we're saying an STD is? No. An STD, STD? it's when you find out that your partner has personal debt that you didn't know about. (gasps) See? Don't you make accounts. Don't live with me. Don't come near me. Well, it's not bank accounts. Like, you could have a whole heap of personal debt. You could have, you know, you could have a car loan that they haven't told you about and then you move in together and then you become de facto and once you become de facto, their assets become yours and their debts also become your responsibility, my friend. We don't want that. We don't stand that. And how do we stop how do we stop that? Because babes, I'm by I'm, having open, honest conversations. Date number two, I'm asking for a full financial statement. You'd be like, hey, I'm, so you know how I'm people are Victoria. <laughs> and be like, You're here? Victoria, we're having a conversation. Victoria, shake him down. How much is he worth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think it's important to have these conversations because debt can be really crippling. And I mean, if you're a young, you know, feminist female who's been saving their butt off for their entire life and you have this massive house deposit and you're deeply in love with someone and want to purchase a home with them and then you find out that they've got like 50 grand worth of personal debt and that's going to put you back on your goals, well, what are you going to do? Like, is that a group conversation? Is that a you need to go sort your shit out and come back to me conversation? Like, what does that actually look like? So sexually transmitted debt can be that Or it can actually be a lot more sinister. We've done Money Diaries on my podcast about it before where people have had their partners take out personal debt in their name and then they've left the relationship and then one day, Abby, you get a call like, hey, you didn't make this payment. You're like, what payment? And you find out that someone else has taken out a whole heap of debt in your name and then run away. So I think just being on top of your credit score, which is really important because that'll tell you what inquiries have been made on your personal financial mm-hmm. situation to and take out debt. How do we do really that? important. So online, you can just look up any free credit checker, but this isn't sponsored. I just like this. And I like these companies that 
I talk about Wiser, W-I-S-R, is a company that does free credit checks. And I quite like them because, you know, you want somewhere that if you're putting your personal details in, you know that they're going to respect that. And to be honest, their reports are really easy to read and free. So I would go and check that to make sure that you don't have any debt that you don't know about, but also look at just what your credit history looks like. Because in the future, if you do plan to buy a home, then that is going to come into play and you want to make sure you've got a good credit history. Otherwise, a bank might be like, oh my God, Abby, your credit history is awful. We're Mm -hmm. not lending you that money, even though you've got your deposit. And sometimes if you've gone into a relationship with a credit card debt, it just feels really like it can feel dirty. You can feel awful. Like you can feel really guilty, especially if they are really financially literate and good at saving. You can be like, oh my God, there's no way I can tell them about this because they'll judge me or they'll think I'm an idiot or they'll think I'm not responsible. And I think it's really important to just be like, debt's debt. Like, cool. It's actually not about what you have right now. It's about what you're planning on doing in the future. And if you're going to stick your head in the sand and not talk about it, well, you're probably going to get in more debt. But if you're going to go, no, I purposefully worked out how much debt I have. I've cut up my credit card and I'm planning on smashing it all out and not putting myself in that position again. We should celebrate that because that's really cool. Like that is you putting yourself first. And to be honest, I think that it's not sexy, but financial literacy is one of the most, I guess, powerful forms of self-care because it goes into every other aspect of your life. Like it can affect you mentally, spiritually, like physically, like being in debt and feeling awful about money can affect every part of your life. And I think that people don't talk about it enough, which is obviously why I'm so passionate about it. Mm. Question about another relationship based. Uh, you were saying before that like you probably shouldn't ask someone how much they earn, but how do we figure out how much? Do we ask our partners how much they earn? Because how do we I figure out how fine. much rent we should be paying, babes? I mean, I don't think it's fair to ask on your first date, but the second oh, you know no. that that relationship is a serious relationship, I think it always comes up, and you need to have that conversation. But from my perspective. It's actually about putting your cards on the table first. Being like, hey, um, I'd love to just talk about money and where we're at. Like, how did you grow up with money? Like, oh, I grew up like this. So that you're kind of showing your hand. I'm not saying you have to go first always, but it's a really great way of making them feel comfortable about it. Because you can be like, oh, look, I earned 50 grand. I'm really proud of that. I've been working towards this raise. Mm -hmm. I think that'll happen. But these are my money goals and this is what I've been working towards. And your partner can go, okay, great. Whereas if you come charging at them and go, hey, Abby, what do you earn? They're going to be like, wait, why? Yeah, what the fuck we're talking about, yeah. Yeah, so I think you need to start having money conversations early, but the deeper your relationship gets, the deeper the money conversations can become because it's quite a costing if you're on a first date and you're like, hey, cool, so just how much do you earn? How much is in super? Do you invest? Because, like, if you don't invest, I don't want a second date. Um, Are you financially literate or nah? So I think it's really first date, how much do you earn? I would. I would. Nowadays, I would. You'd ask someone? I didn't. I mean. Would you? Do you I, I don't think I would, literally, but, like, I think, I've got a lot of audacity, so. Yeah. Yeah, same. I think I try and do a beep, boop, beep, boop in my head to try and figure out what they earn. If I go to someone's place and they and they own it, babe, You're I'm, like, oh. I'm figuring out how much they bought that for and what day. I'm figuring out. Yeah, like, that's not. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. Like, like, I'm like, like I'm I already know out. that that sold in 2001 for 300 grand and that somebody, I'm assuming you bought it in 2018 for mm. 2.2 mil. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I know that. Realestate.com told me that. Yeah. 
literally, yeah. It's not stalking if it was free information from the internet, That's right? true. If I was just looking at photos of your house so that I knew to where I was going when I was going to your home, I know how much you bought it for and, like, proud of you. Yeah, but exactly. Also- but I think those conversations are really important to have early and just being open with it yourself. A lot of conversation, and I guess this is me going back to psych topics, Instead of asking questions, it's more about feelings. So asking someone how they feel about their salary as opposed to what do you earn directly is Mm. a much softer way of saying something. It's also a better way of explaining that you're uncomfortable with something. Because if I said, Abby, you always make me feel terrible about what I spend, you'll get really defensive. Whereas if I said, hey, Abby, I feel like I'm being judged whenever I'm spending money, you'll be like, oh, my gosh, babe, I'm not judging you at all. Like, And Mm. you can start a softer conversation. So leading with feelings in conversations that are a little bit challenging is often really helpful. Yeah, I think a really hard thing people would find as well is dating people who aren't within – like their like reasonable bracket of earning like i feel like girl you know (laughs) in theory how do you have conversations with people that like say if you were earning if your partner was a neurosurgeon and they're earning what 400 grand a year or something or the other way around you're a neurosurgeon and your partner's yes you know or the other way around other way around How do you even start that? Because people that I've dated, this is what happens. Have all been neurosurgeons. All of them. Yeah, I I need someone (laughs) as smart as me. No, this is what happens. I start dating them. I spend money on things that I want to spend money on. Like I will shout at dinner for my friends or something. Like like, I'm not like buying like Louis Vuitton. Like I never buy design or anything. I literally just like will shout at dinner for my girlfriends, right? Shout the table for fun. And then the person that I'm seeing, seven multiple people, they'll be like, you can't afford that. And they will tell me what I can't afford. And then Ooh, I'll say. red flag. Yeah, right. That's fucked, hey. Or they'll be like, like, hey, they'll babes, be like you need your red to- flag is showing. Tuck that one back yeah. in or I'm out. Or they'll be like, oh, you know, like you shouldn't be spending that. It's a, it's a frivolous way to spend your money. And, you know, I think you need a financial planner or you need financial help. And I'm like, I know what I earned this week. Like I know, and I also know that that's in line with my values, and that's what makes me really happy. And I can't believe that you're not taking the time to understand why I'm making that decision. Yeah, like, that's rude. Yeah, that I, is rude. Thank you, because th- yeah. these people, like, it's happened with two people in particular. One of them I love. One I'm not friends anymore, but I yell at the one that I love about this. I'm like, yeah. Then because I'll get like snarky, and I'll say back, "Well, I earned this year or this quarter." And then they get all offended and then they'll be like, well, all you care about is money. And then you always talk about yeah. money. And it's like, well, you're the one trying to control my fucking spending. I don't give a fuck what you spend your money on. I don't care. Yeah. And then I'll date people. I've like, will be hanging out with someone who earns like about the same more than I do, like about the same. And they'll be like talking about property with me, talking about normal, like things that we both are kind of in the same line for. And that was the same when I was in property. Like this isn't just like about like my money now. This is about when I had a normal nine to five. I think I was on 85 grand a year as an analyst, first year out of uni, just a heads up. If you aren't getting that money, please ask for it because all the men are getting that. I can fucking promise you that right now. And the men who earned less than me or more, it was a really awkward topic. So how do you think, do you think you just say fuck off if they start, like, because I always go back to values. Yeah, I just go back to values. And, you know, 
people can argue with the pragmatics, but they can't argue with your feelings in a way. And I think that one, they shouldn't even be saying things like that because they should be being respectful. And that is not what they are doing in that moment. But going back and instead of saying, well, I earn X, because that's just saying, cool, well, I've got enough money for it. Mm. Whereas saying like, well, actually, I love shouting dinner for my girlfriends and I really value that I can do that. Like, I feel so lucky to be able to do Mm. that. They can be like, oh, like that's how I'm actually choosing to spend my money because regardless of how much you earn, like you might have done that at 85 grand. You might be doing that at your current salary. Like it's just something you love doing for your girlfriends. You just say, well, that's actually a money value of mine. And, you know, you might notice that I don't spend anything on designer stuff, but I'm more worried about why you think that calling that out is important. Like, you know, is that something that makes you upset? Like it's actually about them. Like it's not actually about you. You're just triggering that emotion in them and you need to flip it back and be like, you know, why does that make you feel bad like why does mm-hmm. that make you feel like you should be telling me not to do that mm-hmm. and I guess what happened the other way around as well I think women end up in this situation a lot where if they're in a hetero relationship the men in their lives think they can tell them what to spend in both scenarios if if she's earning more or if she's earning less it's like no matter what you do the men think they have this inherent financial literacy that they do not have like again I have a degree in property economics like I say that I don't know much but I have a fucking degree in it I worked as an analyst like I Mm. That's because men have this thing that we don't often have and that's called the audacity and they just like to pull it out all the time. Mm. And I just – I find it really interesting because just like you, I used to have that experience dating because I've always – earned more than my age peers, right? Like I've always been in a position where I've usually earned more probably because of the amount of study I've done and I've always just been a little bit nerdy. But dating historically, I had a lot of that and I love giving to my friends. Like generosity is one of those things that I just love doing. Like if I know that you love something, like I'm very likely to try and purchase it for you or get it so that I can just see you be really happy. Like I adore giving. Gift like, giving is your love it's language. Just, yeah. Like I, I I love doing that for people and the people closest to me are always like, Victoria, stop it. And I'm like, yeah, but I love it. Like I love giving it to you. And what people don't realize about that is that gives me as much joy as it gives you Mm. like I gave it to you and like the best thing ever is when you're like oh my god I really wanted this or you know oh my god like that's so thoughtful or you know it's one of those things where you learn things about your friends and that's just what sparks my joy but I used to get in a lot of trouble like for it Mm. from previous partners but when you find someone who actually respects you you're like what the hell like why aren't you calling me out for this and it's kind of like having a past relationship that was abusive and then expecting somebody else to be the same like now with my current partner Steve he respects every decision that I make and we talk openly and honestly about both of our incomes and what we want to achieve together and he's never once questioned my spending habits because I think he just doesn't feel the need to control me in that way and that's really refreshing like it's so different and like I'm used to it now but I remember at the very beginning being like what like why is this guy not being like everybody else so I think when you find somebody who actually respects it it's kind of weird because we expect other people to have an opinion and they shouldn't it is weird. It also is a form of uh, abuse, financial control, just if anyone out there is being given, you know, a pocket money, even though, like, from your job bank account, just a heads up, that is a form of abuse, just so you're all aware. Yeah, so 
touching on financial abuse there because it's actually a lot more common than anybody thinks it is. A financial abuse is literally anything where somebody else dictates how you do anything with money. So whether that is them saying you need to be paid into a particular bank account or controlling pocket money or controlling any financial aspect of your life or even really being mean to you about the spending habits you have, that's financial abuse. And there's a lot of places that you can reach out to. Mm-hmm. Put them in the show notes. Okay, so before we go, can you give me like a quick fire of or like the the biggest funny mistake you think everyone makes? Not understanding their budget. And when I say not understanding their budget, I don't mean like, hey, put yourself on a budget and only spend a hundred bucks a week on groceries. I'm saying, do you understand what comes into your bank account and then subsequently what goes out of your bank account each and every single month? Because you should be able to tell me off the top of your head what comes in on average and what on average you're spending and how much surplus you have to save. So, so many people don't do their budgets because they think that they're restrictive and they don't want to have one and they don't think they need it. When in reality, a budget is actually just an outline of what your spending habits are and you should know that. I need to make a budget, Jesus Christ. We need to make an appointment, babe, because like (gasps) shit is fucked. Sorted out, Victoria. All right, so she's on the money. I mean, we all know it, but she's on the money podcast. You can go on the Facebook group. I'm in there lurking, getting money tips from people. You're just stealing the hot tips and running away. Yeah, well, not really. Well, yeah, in my new runners. Running away. That's what I bought them for, to steal the hot tips and to sprint away. Um, (laughs) You've got your book. What's your book called? It's called She's on the Money, Go Figure. I mean, I love that for us. I didn't trademark that so I couldn't just use it everywhere, you know? Mm, Very true, very true. Trademarking's expensive. I'm going to get my money out of that. (laughs) I should probably trademark. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, you should. You should absolutely trademark. (laughs) Me? Now I think of it. God, Victoria's changing my life. Thank you so much for coming on, Dal. Such a good chat. thank you for having me. We might have you on again later on to talk about other specific things because you're just, your brain is just full of, Full of knowledge and I love talking I would love to you. That. Be good and I'll speak to you later. Thanks, gorgeous.